Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see all of you here today. If that's your first time, if we've not yet had the chance to meet, my name is Pete, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and it's just awesome to have you joining this growing family that God is building here at Life Church Buffalo. You know, after the last service, my wife encouraged me to come out of that bumper video doing the Beyonce single ladies dance, and I was like, I ain't doing that. There's no way. There is no way I am doing that. But no, it is cool to see how uh, every week we have new first-time guests checking out our church. The family of God is growing here, and not only is our church growing, but the people that are here are growing spiritually. And for the benefit of those of you who may not have been here last week, I announced some, some exciting news that I want to tell all of you here today, because last Sunday we had a little bit of weather that kept some of you at home, and our attendance was down a little bit, because we want to make sure everyone knows that, you know, with the growth that we're experiencing, that we do don't kind of cap or stunt our own growth. If you were here the first week of January, you know that there were over 500 people that came out to check out our church, and which was awesome until we looked out in the parking lot. We realized every single spot was filled, and we were parking cars along the driveway. And so, look, we want to make sure that there is zero reason why any new person that would come to check out our church feels like there isn't room for them. And so because of that, we announced last week, I'm announcing it again right now, at some point in the next several months, we are going to be launching a third Sunday morning service. Isn't that exciting that we're growing? So awesome. So we're still working out some of the details, and so we'll announce the date and the times and all of that uh, in weeks to come. But be praying for us as we gear up and prepare for that. Uh, It's not going to be Saturday night. It won't be Sunday night. It's going to be three Sunday morning experiences so that we can make sure that uh, we continue to make more and more room for people who need to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and come and experience the love and the life that he has to offer here. And so we're excited about that. And I want to just thank you uh, to every single person who last week in response to my message on love and serve filled out one of these cards. We had a bunch of people indicate that they want to join, attend Growth Path and join and serve on a ministry team. And I can't thank you enough because as we gear up and get ready for a third service, we're going to need to continue adding to our dream team, our volunteers. And if you weren't here last week, then it's not too late. Actually, the timing is perfect right now because next week will be step two of Growth Path, which is connect at life. And you get an opportunity to kind of discover your design and our design points to our destiny. We know that part of our destiny as followers of Jesus Christ uh, is to love God by serving people. And uh, when in Connect at Life, we get to kind of dive into your personality and figure out how did God wire you and make you and figure out the, the gifts that he gave you when you invited his spirit to come and live inside of you. And once you discover those things, it kind of helps you know what some great areas would be for you to serve that you can feel fulfilled and fruitful in. And so I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, but you want to get in on the fun that is serving on the dream team, take this card, fill it out. Let us know that you want to attend Growth Path and serve on a ministry team. Turn it into the green wall after the experience is over. We appreciate it so much. But as you just heard Pastor Lawrence say, we are kicking off a brand new series today called Facebook Official, all about relationships. Now, 
For the benefit of those of you who don't understand what the term or phrase Facebook official means, uh, if you're not on social media or on Facebook, it's a term that became popular in our culture several years ago when uh, it was basically meaning that you weren't really in a relationship until you changed your Facebook status and your profile to say that you were in a relationship. You became Facebook official when you changed your status to in a relationship or married or it's complicated. And so that's what Facebook official means. And we know that culture has a lot to say about some of our relationship statuses, but God's word has some different things to say than what culture says. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to kind of take a look at what God's word has to say about some of the different relationship statuses that we find ourselves in. Now, before I begin, I just want to say up front, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here and speak to those of you who are parents that might have little ones in the service with you here today. Um, Unless you want them asking you about birds and the bees after church, I would encourage you to maybe check them into kids' life right now where they can have some fun and learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate environment because there's going to be a little bit of adult content that is discussed in the message here this morning, and so you have been duly warned. To give you guys an idea of where we're going to be going with this series, uh, next week we're going to talk to those of you who are married, uh, and then the week after that we're going to try and tackle the very difficult topic of divorce and hopefully bring a message of hope to those of you that have experienced that. And then in week four we're going to talk to those of you who would say, you know what, my relationship status is, it's complicated. It's tough to say exactly what my relationships are like, and so that's going to be week four. I ask that you pray for me as I prepare uh, for that message, but Today, to begin, by a show of hands, I would ask, how many of you would say uh, that you are single and satisfied? Single and satisfied, you are content to be single, you're not looking to be in a relationship, all right? You can put your hands down. How many of you would say you are single and searching? Single and searching, you don't want to be single, you want to be in a relationship. Keep your hands up, hands up, look around, look around. (laughs) If you see something you like, take note, go up to them after service. Maybe get their numbers, try and get a date scheduled. I'm just trying to help you out, guys. I'm just saying church is a great place to meet a mate. I know, trust me. (laughs) No, but today we are going to start by talking to those of you who aren't in a relationship at all. You're single. And I want to say right out of the gate that I feel a little unqualified to preach this message because I'll acknowledge the awkward right up front. I'm married. Okay, I'm not single. And I understand the need that many of you have to hear from someone who understands firsthand what it's like to be a single. And truth be told, if we had a single person on our staff, you would be hearing from them right now and not from me. But we don't, and so here I am, aware of the fact that any pastor who is married that attempts to tackle the topic of singleness is in danger of facing some criticism. I've heard singles say things like, oh, great, another married pastor that's going to tell me what it's like to try and be single. Or, Pastor Pete, you don't understand. You've been married for so long. How can you possibly understand what I have to face as a single person? Granted, I understand that it's natural to feel like someone can't relate with you if you know, they've not had the same experience as you have. But to that, I would kind of just say, first of all, that I was single, not once, but twice. I was single when I, until I met my first wife. Four years later, she left, and the divorce was finalized a year after that. So I was 
single again for a season until I met and married my beautiful current wife, Kelly, God's gift of grace to me. But secondly, I would say that God's word and truth transcends our experiences. But thirdly, and maybe most importantly, I know that God has called me and equipped me to pastor the people of this church, some of whom are single. And so I'm going to do my best to just let God's word speak to the issue of singleness. Now, why are we starting with singles? Well, number one, as I just mentioned, we have people in our church who are single. Number two, it's not just a church issue. It's also a cultural issue. There are now more singles in the United States than there ever has been in any previous point in our history. In fact, in 2017, the U.S. Census reported that there are now 45.2% of our population are unmarried singles over the age of 18. 45.2%. And in previous generations, this would have been unheard of because in 1960, 72% of our population was married. Today, it's 52%. And so marriage is declining rapidly, singles are increasing rapidly, and at some point in the next couple of years, they are going to intersect, and we will be a majority single population here in this country. And so I think the church has kind of been behind in addressing this. I was astounded when I looked at the the fact that when you look on Amazon, there are 298 Christian books on marriage to every one on singleness. Is that crazy? 298 books, Christian books on marriage to every one on singleness. The world is not quiet in telling you if you're single on how you should act and what you should think and what you should do if you're single because there has been pressure from our earliest days to not be alone. I mean, it happens from as early, my first girlfriend was in kindergarten. Her name was Maureen. There's this pressure to be in a relationship, and then that pressure reaches a fevered pitch when we reach middle school and high school, where you're seen as weird if you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And then we get into college, and maybe that pressure goes down a little bit as people are focusing on, you know, their career, but there's still this weird, like, hookup culture where, you know, if you're not sleeping around, if you're not having sex, like, you're kind of somehow kind of strange. But then we get out of college, and... You know, it's like the pressure then comes from our family, our parents, right? It's like, come on, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? I want grandkids, right? So there's all this pressure to not be alone. And we watch shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, which for the life of me, I know that some of you love that show, but I can't understand it. Like it's about a single guy who's dating multiple women at the same time watched by women who hate guys that date multiple women. Someone please explain this to me. Like, I don't get it. But it all speaks to this this pressure that we face in society and in our culture to not be alone. And that pressure then turns into fear if we don't wind up in a relationship. Fear of missing out on love, missing out on a family, missing out on kids. Or if you're a Christian, maybe missing out on God's call on your life. And what has the church done to give people an alternative for what the picture that culture paints of singleness? What vision have we given singles for what it actually looks like as a Christian, as a Christ follower, to be a single 
in this world outside of our message has the extent has been like don't have sex before marriage and um oh yeah why don't you just focus on your relationship with god until you wait for him to bring mr or mrs right into your life like my personal favorite is when people say you know when you're fully content to just be satisfied with god alone then god will bring someone into your life there ain't a married person in this room that was fully content to be with God alone before they got married. It's just not it. What, what picture has the church given to help people who are single? Listen, for a faith that was founded by a single man, hello, Jesus founded the Christian faith, and largely spread by another single man, the Apostle Paul, it feels like the church has done a lot more following of culture rather than leading it. Churches been largely geared for couples and families. And so the single men and women who do wind up in the church, walking in and out of our doors each week, leaving with this question of like, it's a very unspoken but very loud message. Like, do I belong? Where's my place? Do I fit here? Some of the questions that rise in singles' minds is like, has, has God forgotten about me? What's wrong with me? Why won't God answer my prayers? Is this the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us? Because it doesn't feel like it. Is this the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? Or am I missing something? Our silence in the church, all of our programming, all of our messaging, has communicated to singles that they are somehow second-class citizens in the kingdom, and that's just not true. So this message is sort of my first step at trying to address that, maybe shift and change the culture of the church a little bit. And because I'm not single, when I set out to start preparing this message today, those of you that maybe follow me on social media saw that I put a post out there on Monday to, I wanted to hear from singles. I wanted to hear about your experience. And so I asked three questions. I said, what do you love about being single? What are some of the advantages? What do you hate about being single? What are some of the challenges? And then what do you wish the church would address when it comes to singleness? And I didn't get a ton of responses, but the several that I did get, let me just say, were very eye-opening, even, even a little convicting. See, what struck me as I read many of your responses was, if you're a single man or woman, just how often you must feel ostracized in a church that focuses so much on family and marriage. If you're an encouraged single, and what I mean by that is someone who's wrestled through where you're at in life and you're content to be single, I thought about how often you have to do mental gymnastics to sort of relate with and identify with the stories and illustrations that I use in my messages, 90% of which have to do with my marriage, my kids, or some aspect of my family life. And if you're a discouraged single, someone who's single and doesn't want to be, I wonder how often those illustrations just make you feel that much more discouraged, that much more isolated and on the outside. This sermon is in some way me saying that I want to get better at that. I want to help those of you who are single not have to do all of those mental gymnastics and not feel so discouraged and isolated. Now, with that being said, it seems to me that singles are viewed both by themselves as well as by married people as having lacking something maybe. They're missing something. What starts out in your younger single days is as some of your friends get married, 
right? They try to hook you up with some of their non-married friends in the hopes that there'll be a connection that's made and you get married and join, you know, the adult marrieds. And then as singleness persists, if you don't get married right away, the married people then start to look at you and begin to question like, is there something wrong with them? Like, why haven't they found someone yet? Or maybe you begin to wonder if there's something wrong with you. Or worse yet, maybe you begin to question if God is angry with you or has forgotten about you or is somehow maybe withholding something from you by not giving you the gift of a lifelong spouse. What I want to say right out of the gate to those marrieds who would view singleness as an oddity as well as to you singles who would think that maybe God's forgotten about you or is withholding something from you, that both of those opinions are way out of line with what Scripture has to say about singleness. Now, I recognize that even when I use the term single, there are so many different subcategories of singleness, and each are unique. Like you've got young singles, And you've got older singles. And how many of you know it's different to be 20-something and single and single in your 50s or 60s? You've got some singles that want to be married and have been waiting way longer than they ever thought they would need to for God to bring them a mate. Then you've got other singles who are content to never get married. You've got widows. Some are divorced. And still you've got some single moms and single dads who as much as they would love to be in a relationship are so focused on their kids and trying to make ends meet, they're working two jobs, that they don't have time to even think about re-entering the dating scene. And so just know that I can't possibly address each and every one of the very unique challenges and struggles and opportunities that each one of those subcategories has. I just tried as best as I could to let God's word speak to the issue of singleness because it is not silent about it. The Bible has a lot to say about singleness. And so if you have your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is Paul's treatise on marriage and singleness. Now listen, if you are married here today, this is not like permission for you to like tune in and check out, surf Facebook, don't change your relationship status. I need you to listen for several reasons because if you're a married parent here today, You are raising kids that are going to need to learn how to be successful singles in our culture. You probably have singles in your life. And listen, as much as we don't like to think about this idea or talk about it, even if you're married, the chances are you may be single again one day. I hope and pray it's not because of divorce, but we take vows until death do us part. And so unless God takes you both home at the same time. And I'm, I'm praying I go home notebook style, like holding my wife's hand, we fall asleep and we both wake up in glory together. Like that's how I want to go. But that's not usually how it happens. And so if your spouse precedes you in death, you will again re-enter a season of singleness. And let's face it, how many messages on marriage have single people been forced to sit through? Come on. Right? I mean, last year, I did a four-week message series on marriage that single people sat through. So I think it's good for those of us who are married to, to learn a little bit more about this and be more sensitive to and aware of the needs of our single brothers and sisters. Because after all, we're called a spiritual family. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens in Christ. And so in preparation for this message, I watched probably no lie, four or five, maybe six different sermons on singleness. I read two or three different books. I had a lot 
of preparation for this message. And I borrowed heavily from one particular book that I'm going to really encourage and recommend to every person who is single, regardless of what type of single you are, that you pick up the book Thrive by Lena Abujamra, I think is how her name is pronounced. Of all the books I looked at, this is by far the best book. It offers the most hope. And listen, it was written by a woman who is in her 40s and has been single her whole life and didn't want to be single. And so I would encourage you to pick this up. There's a lot of things. I could literally preach a six-week message series on singleness after having read this book. And so I'm not going to possibly cover everything that there is to cover when it comes to singleness, but I would encourage you to pick up this book. Before I go any further, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop to the context of 1 Corinthians and how and why it was written. See, Corinth in Paul's day was the most important city in Greece. It was a wealthy port city. It was luxurious and it was chock full of immorality. It would put sin city to shame. Paul planted the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey. He spent a year and a half in Corinth before moving on, and it wasn't long after he moved on that the church, this new baby church, began to have some problems and challenges that they didn't know what to do with. There were lawsuits happening between believers. Cliques were being formed. There were arguments breaking out over family, and sexual immorality was creeping into the church, and, you know, they couldn't agree on spiritual gifts, and so the church, unsure of what to do and didn't know how to handle these things, would write a letter to Paul asking for his advice on how to handle these problems, and so... While on his third missionary journey in Ephesus, he sits down and writes two letters to this church that he planted that now become known to us as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So it was written somewhere between 53 and 55 AD, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the, the letter opens up the way most of Paul's letters do with the greetings and introduction, but then he quickly kind of hones in on some of the issues that were addressed to him in the letter that they wrote. And so by the time he hits chapter 5, he's ready to tackle one of the specific issues of immorality that they wrote to him about. And if you don't know about 1 Corinthians, you're going to be shocked to hear what it was actually about. There was a man having an incestuous affair with his stepmother in the church. Like, that's the kind of culture we're talking about here. I mean, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. That's just, that's messed up. That's like Jerry Springer type stuff. People in the church were sleeping with prostitutes. There were temple prostitutes. It was, it was bad. And so in chapter 6, he's like, guys, knock it out. And he writes one of the strongest passages in all of Scripture about sexual immorality. I would encourage you to read it when you get home, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then he gets to chapter 7, which is where we're going to be today, where he kind of addresses the, the who, what, when, where, and why of marriage and singleness. Now, why do I say all of that? Because I want you to have a clear picture in your mind of the culture into which Paul is writing. It was a culture of, of moral decay and corruption. It was a hotbed of lust and immorality. I read this week, in fact, that there was a restaurant in Corinth where, you know, one side was a restaurant, the other side was a brothel. Like, you could go to the restaurant for dinner and take a hooker home for dessert. Like, that's the kind of culture he's writing into here. It was a culture that was affecting the church in Corinth, much like the culture we're a part of today is creeping into and affecting the church. And so if you've ever wondered if God understands what it's like to be, you know, a single Christian in such a sex-charged culture, 
If you've ever wondered if it's possible, you know, to, to live a holy life as a single Christian in a sex-crazed culture, then the answer is a resounding yes, because all we have to do is look at Paul's instructions to the Corinthians in chapter 7. Now, as I said, there's a lot of things that, you know, I could talk about and I could, I could literally preach for the next three hours, but I want to get you home before the Super Bowl. So I, you don't want me to do that. I won't do that to you. I'm going to talk primarily today about two issues relating to singleness. One is purity and singleness, and one is the purpose of singleness, purity and purpose. So in verse seven, Paul begins by saying, I wish every one of you were single just as I am. I wonder how many times single people have said, I wish everyone could just be single. It would be so much easier. And just a quick side note about Paul's singleness. There's a little bit of dispute and debate amongst scholars and theologians on whether or not Paul was always single. In scripture, it's clear he's writing here as a single person, but prior to his conversion to Christ, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling Jewish council. And in order to reach such a status in their culture, it was assumed that you had to be married. That was one of the requirements. And so one of three things could have happened. Either his wife died prior to us being introduced to him in scripture. His wife may have left him when he came to know Christ. Or perhaps he was never married. Maybe he was given an exemption. Maybe he was the exception to the rule. We just don't know. But it's clear here that he's writing as a single saying, I want everyone to be single just like me. Yet, he says in the last half of the verse, each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Now, those of you that see a special gift from God relating to singleness would say, a gift? Really? How about a curse? Does this gift come with a gift receipt? Because I'd like to exchange it. Right? Can I, can I return it? Can I get a refund? I'd like something else. See, Paul is saying that each person, each relational status is a gift from God. If you're married, then marriage is the gift. If you're single, then singleness he is calling a gift. Now, I want to add a little caveat here, especially to those of you who are widowers or widows. It's not the loss of your spouse that is a gift. I want to be very clear about that. That is heartbreaking. But the gift of the season of singleness that you're in now can be seen as a gift. Divorcees, it's, it's not the loss and the pain and the hurt that you feel for the divorce you walked through that's the gift. It's the season of singleness that you're now in that if interpreted properly can be received as a gift. But I understand that the very idea of singleness can be appalling to some people. Singleness is a gift that you wish you never got, wish you never opened, you didn't ask for it, never planned on it. Now the truth is, most of the time, you and I, I think, have very little real idea of what we really need in life. What we want is not always what's best for us, and what's best is not always what we value or appreciate. But thankfully, God knows what we need, and he always, always gives good gifts to his kids. But I think the reason that some of us maybe haven't been able to see singleness as a gift, my opinion that I submit to you, first of all, is because you've not received the gift. You've, you've rejected it. You didn't want it, and so you didn't receive it. Much like our salvation is a gift that's offered to all, but only those who received the gift of Jesus into their heart get to experience the blessings of that relationship 
the forgiveness, the love, the peace, the joy, the promise of eternal life. You have to receive it to experience the blessings of it. If we do this to the gift of singleness, we never receive it as our own. The recipient of a gift has to take it and make it their own. The second reason I think we've not been able to see it as a gift is because we've not understood the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift. God never gives a gift that doesn't have a purpose. And so let's continue reading and see if we can't see what else Paul has to say about this gift and what a possible purpose for it might be. Verse 8 says, So I, uh, I say to those of you who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. Because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, I just want to pause here for a minute and park and say a few things because we can't talk about singleness and not talk about sex. Because staying pure is for sure one of the challenges of singleness. And I want to give another little disclaimer here and say to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ is, I don't want to hear any amens in, this, in the next part of this message. Because it's easy for us who are married especially, to say amen to something that might be an issue of sin or struggle in someone else's life. But those of the, the people here who are searching and struggling in this area, maybe I don't want them to feel any shame or any condemnation. So I don't want to hear any amens. Let's just let God's word speak for itself. Some of you, when you hear this, like, it's better to marry than to burn with lust, or being like, exactly. That's why I want to get married, Pastor. Like there is a fire burning and I cannot put it out. And scripture says right here, better to marry than to burn. I get it. Trust me, I get it. Can I share something with you from personal experience? That was the exact verse and sentiment that I used as a reason for why I married my first wife. I was trying to legitimize something that was already happening in the relationship, if you catch my drift. AKA, I was having sex with my girlfriend and I tried to make it right by marrying her. Thinking that by getting married, I'd be able to have sex whenever I want and it'd be better, it'd be easier, right? See, I carried an addiction to pornography into my first marriage and being able to have sex whenever I wanted to did nothing to quench the fire that I was experiencing. And so if you're here thinking that, you know what, that's why I need to get married because then I'll be able to have sex whenever I want to. If you think it's gonna get easier after you're married, you're sorely mistaken. Trust me, I know from firsthand experience. I was raised in a Christian home, guys. I was a pastor's kid. I was a self-professing Christian who was having sex with his girlfriend. I was in a sexually immoral relationship. The Bible calls it fornication. Fornication is two unmarried people having sex. It was common in Paul's day. He addressed it numerous times, especially in Corinthians, and it's certainly true in our day. Did you know that 80% of unmarried evangelicals between ages 18 and 29 have had sex? 80% of Bible-believing Christians between ages 18 and 29 have already had sex. Now, that maybe shouldn't be an alarming statistic. And I don't say that to shame anyone because I contributed 
to that statistic. Please, if you are here as a seeker, if you're here and you're struggling with that, know that as, as someone who has struggled with this, who had sex before he was married, I am not saying this to shame you. I'm simply letting God's word speak to what the issues are when it comes to singleness. The bottom line is that if you are single and sexually active, it is wrong. And Paul didn't mince words when he told them in the previous chapter. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that. He goes, but that is what some of you were. But you were cleansed, you were bought, you were saved, you were cleansed, you were washed. That, when you say yes to Jesus, what you used to do, you don't have to do anymore. That's not me, that's the Bible. And so to Christians, listen to me, I would say I know that trying to avoid sex is not easy, but it is possible. I did it wrong the first time, but I did it right the second time. When I was dating my current wife, Kelly, Listen, we had some temptations, we struggled, but we fought for our purity and we entered our marriage having waited until our wedding night to have sex. I know it's not easy, but if you're a Christ follower, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you and will give you the strength to say no to that temptation. You can have self-control. And so if you're here as someone who's single and is having sex or has had sex, listen, the good news for you is that it's not an unforgivable sin. And God is not angry with you. The wrath of God was satisfied when Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. There is forgiveness available to you. He has a better way, a better plan for your life if you would just trust in him. If you would stay rooted and grounded in him. And I know that this sounds old-fashioned and extreme in a culture that has completely normalized sex outside of marriage. Culture that says you're weird if you're still a virgin or if you're trying to wait to get married. Culture that says, what's the big deal? We're all animals. It's just a physical act. Got to try it before you buy it. We got to make sure we're sexually compatible. Listen, God created sex And it's not just a physical act. It is a spiritual bond. This is not old-fashioned or extreme. It's God's word. We can't claim to know and love Jesus and pick and choose which verses we want to apply to our lives and which verses we want to ignore. We can't do it. If we want the blessings of following Jesus, we have to walk in his ways because blessings follow obedience. It's possible. So if you're looking to thrive as a single Christian. God is direct about truth, and this one is really obvious. There is no room for sex outside of marriage. Paul's answer to you is simple. If it's that hard to stay pure, marry the guy or girl, if he or she is a believer. That is an important qualifier because he tells us very clearly that you are not to join yourself in marriage to an unbeliever. Don't be unequally yoked. And if there is no guy or girl to marry, then self-control is what's required. And self-control is defined as a restraint exercised over one's impulses, emotions, or desires. Listen, the desire to have sex is not a bad thing. That was put in us by our creator who also created sex. It's a beautiful thing. It's his greatest invention ever. I'm so glad he made it. (laughs) Sex is not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. It was intended to be a gift given to a husband and wife entering the sanctity of the covenant of marriage. 
And so sex, if you're single, either marry or have self-control. But understand that self-control isn't something that you can produce in your own. Like Paul says in Galatians 5 that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And if you know anything about fruit growing on a tree, like you can't walk up to a tree and just add fruit to it because you're trying hard. No, the fruit is determined by the root. And as a Christ follower in whom the Spirit of God dwells, the fruits of the Spirit should become more and more evident in your life the longer you follow Jesus. And if you're rooted in Him, self-control will be one of the things that is produced in your life. So when it comes to sex, again, two options, get married or exercise self-control. Now, you see these words from Paul, it's better to stay unmarried. You would say maybe he's making a pretty strong case for not being married. Does that mean that marriage is wrong? Should I, is the desire to be married wrong? Well, no, it's not. Okay, look at verse 28. He says, but if you do get married, it is not a sin. So listen, the desire to be married is not wrong. The same guy that wrote this wrote Ephesians 5, where he talks about marriage being this beautiful picture of God, the bridegroom, having an unconditional love for his bride, the church. Same guy wrote both. So being married is not wrong and wanting to be married is not wrong. He says though, however, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I am trying to spare you of those problems. And that's crazy. Paul's basically saying, look, marriage isn't at all it's cracked up to be. It's got some problems. And singles, I'm trying to spare you of those problems. He goes on to say in verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his days doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. That should be the ultimate goal and an aim of any Christ follower, how to please God. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Here's where we get to the purpose. He's saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. God's not trying to hold you back. Why, what is the purpose of singleness? To help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. The NIV says, with undivided devotion to the Lord. That is the main purpose and advantage of singleness, to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. That word for devotion in the original language is a, is a compound word that is best translated with two English words, good and beside. I'm going to be really good at being beside Jesus. That's devotion. Another English word that would be a great translation is attentive. I'm going to be attentive to the Lord's word and attentive to the Lord's work. An undivided, undistracted devotion. Which is why in my second season of singleness, Kelly came into my life right as the divorce was being finalized. And it was really, really tempting for me to immediately pursue a dating relationship with her. I'm like, God, you are so good. Brought her into my life. I didn't have to wait at all. This is awesome. And it was a God thing, the circumstances that brought us together, but I knew in my heart that I needed some healing coming out of a divorce. And so I told Kelly, I said, look, I like you, you like me, and I can't be around you. I can't talk to you because when I'm around you, 
I feel things, and right now I believe that God is calling me to a season of consecration. He's got to do a work in me. I've got to discover who I am in Christ as an individual, not as someone who is joined to another. And so I had a season of undivided, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Because let's face it, anybody who's dating or is married knows that there are distractions that come with marriage. Those of you who aren't married don't know about the distractions of the married life. And some of you would say like, yeah, how to please my wife? That's the kind of distractions I want right now. And I look at them and say, are you sure? Like, I don't know if you really want that distraction. Because when you're married, listen, you got to spend money on things that you never thought you'd have to spend money on. Like throw pillows. Like those of you that don't know my wife, like... She's got a thing about throw pillows. We've got about 20 on our couch in the family room and another four on the couch in the living room and two more on the love seat in the living room and the 12 that we have on our bed in our bedroom that come like halfway down the bed. I'm like, what is the point? We come into the bedroom, we take the pillows off, we go to sleep, nobody ever sees them. What do we need these for? And so we're in the store and she, she goes down the aisle of the throw pillows. It's like a magnet to her. Like, I must see more. She's like, which one do you like better? This one or this one? This one? How about this one or this one? And I'm just looking. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and the worst thing about it is like, she's got to have a different set for every season. So we have a set of throw pillows for winter, spring, summer, and fall. Like, I kid you not. I don't care. Listen, when you're single, you don't have to spend money on stuff like that if you don't want to. You get to spend money on whatever you want to. When you get home from work, when you're married, like when you're single, you could just like, oh man, I'm exhausted. I just want to relax and watch TV, chill. When you're married, you think you want to get home from work and just watch TV? No, son. No. Because she's going to want to know how your day went. Right, and your typical obligatory one word, good, and you gotta cut it, right? She's gonna want details, details, right? And then she's gonna wanna give you details about how her day went and your typical, mm hmm, mm hmm, yeah, oh, yeah, isn't gonna cut it, all right? You're gonna have to listen to her with your face, right? And engage with her on an emotional level and listen and respond and say things like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm not sure how I would feel if my friend said that to me. You're going to have to connect with her on a level that is completely foreign to your friendship circles. <laughs> Listen, I am not downing marriage. I love being married and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But the truth is the married life has some challenges, has distractions. Like when you're married, listen, you can't go wherever you want, whenever you want. When I was single, if I wanted to go to Starbucks, guess what I did? I went to Starbucks. I didn't have to ask anyone. I didn't have to call home and check in and say, hey, honey, the guys are going out. And then, I, is it, can I go? Right? You've got more time when you're single. I remember when I was single and I'd go over to some married friend's house, you know, if we were going to all go somewhere together. And I was amazed as I'd sit back and literally wait for an hour, sometimes two hours, as they packed their van of all of these things to keep their kids entertained and alive. And I'm like, are you serious? Is this what married life is like? Where it takes like hours of planning to, to just go to the store? 
you have more time when you're single. And it's not just time to do what so many of us do with the freedom, which is like binge watch Netflix or, you know, go to the movies or we pursue distractions, but no, it's intended to pursue an undivided devotion. You have more time to serve, to make a difference. You have more time to develop your gifts and talents for God. You have more time to pursue your passions and the things that he's put in your heart to do. You can go on a missions trip. It's a lot harder to do that when you're married with kids. Listen to me, church. The purpose of the gift of singleness is not to restrict you. The actual phrase in the original language is not to put a noose on you, which is what so many people think singleness is. No, singleness is intended to position you to serve him better with an undistracted devotion. And if that doesn't define your single experience, then yes, singleness will be very frustrating for you because you're missing the point of it. The most satisfied singles I know are the ones who get that, who've made this season of their singleness about pursuing Jesus. Don't use your freedoms to pursue distractions. Use your freedom to pursue Jesus. See, the problem for many of us is that we have a tendency to ignore the advantages of our current season while focusing on the disadvantages and wishing away the season we're in, wanting another season or wanting to be in someone else's shoes. Some of you who are single have made getting married the mission, finding a mate the mission. Listen, we already have a mission and you don't need a man or woman to fulfill it. You don't need to be married to fulfill the call of God on your life. You are here to know God, to be known by him, and to make him known, and you don't need a mate to fulfill that mission. So listen to me, I say with all of the compassion in my heart, don't waste the gift that this season is intended to be. The gift of pursuing Jesus with an undivided and undistracted devotion. Don't waste the gift waiting on a man or woman. Because marriage isn't the mission. Making disciples is the mission. See, your relationship status doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Singleness and marriage, they, they both have their strengths and weaknesses, their, their challenges and their opportunities. Opportunities. 